Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, it's us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. Yes, last night, folks, I am willing to admit I was reading a very weird book called Thus Spake Zarathustra. You can look it up if you want to, but that's the name of this song. Originally, I believe, by Wagner. But you probably know it because of Ric Flair, and I'm playing it because it's Ric Flair Friday here on the Joey Clark Radio Hour. I'm wearing my Ric Flair shirt. It is Ric Flair, well, birthday today. Or at least he celebrated it in a surprise party. And so, I have assembled together once again. It's an encore from last night, the Joey Clark Radio Hour Hall of Fame. We have Southern Wood. We have Seth Butlow. Oh, and let's hear it, Rick. Let's hear it. You know, can you imagine if we had... Ric Flair as... I am Ric Flair, the President of the United States! If we had that man as our president, he's now 70. I mean, he's still seven younger than Bernie, right? Right. I think it could and work two out. two younger than our current president. Yeah. I think it could work out very well. Is Trump really 70? 72? Yeah. He's wow. 72. Oh, wow. Man, you got that right. I was it's unreal. And now, when you were playing that intro, I know your mind immediately went to Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. I went to Bugs Bunny. You went to Bugs Bunny? I do, you, do, you, do you not remember Bugs Bunny as the maestro? Oh, and yeah. The little glove would fall, yeah. and, and he would hold the tune, and then he, the glove would stay up, and he'd put his hands down and rest, and then go back up into the... Oh, That's yeah. Bugs Bunny oh, yeah. right there. 100%. It's not Bugs Bunny. It's Ric Flair. I think Superman. You better, you better recognize. It's not Superman. It's not Bugs Bunny. It is... You're talking <laughs> to the Rolex wearing... Woo! Diamond ring wearing... Kiss stealing... Woo! Wheeling dealing... Limousine right! Jet flying! Son of a gun! And I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down! Woo! What is it about this guy... It, it, this is the one character that, in wrestling in particular, maybe Hulk Hogan eclipses him in terms of, like, fame, like, notoriety. Stone Cold Steve Austin, I think, made the most money when he had his run. But, I I mean, who doesn't know who Stone Cold is, either? I mean, even people that aren't wrestling fans. I'm thinking of The Rock is probably the biggest movie star today in terms of action flicks. He's not going to win an Oscar this Sunday anytime soon. But I'm trying to think. Ric Flair and Hulk. Did Ric Flair have like a downtrend? Because now it's almost like it's everywhere. It's in hip hop culture. Rick, it's in just pop that, culture in general. Ric Flair 
what he did was he was the consummate bad guy hmm. and everybody hated him right but he was the first of the heels he was the first bad guy right that made you fall in love with him and go yeah right. i really okay. like that he really was he was the first one and that's stone cold steve austin kind of it was a heel too well they, they followed were, that no, trend also, hulk hogan they're all kind of they're all so-called babyface good guys but well flair was a true heel but hogan and St- stone cold were both baby faces like people loved them but the way they behaved was kind of like a bad guy well but see hogan when when hogan first come out i mean he was the the pure good guy mm-hmm. i mean he was take your vitamins you hulkamaniacs <laughs> right. and, and all that yeah. yeah i mean that's the way he <laughs> was and he was the good guy and, and you know he was wrestling everybody in wrestlemania one two three four five he was the good guy against the bad guy right and then uh, his mustache it. changed colors and that's what kind of <laughs> turned me on hulk is when he tried to do the the black shirt hulk instead of the yellow shirt and yeah and, well, you no, know, before he became here's the thing though he actually before because my roommates and i have been watching old wcw monday night nitro and you go all the way back there was a period where hogan kind of turned he shaved off his facial hair he wore black and it didn't really work. It's like he lost his like happiness or something. But then when they did the NWO, what the way they set that up is they stole, not really stole, they made a deal, Eric Bischoff did, with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. You know, Razor Ramon and Diesel. Nash was called Diesel. Hall was called Razor Ramon. And everybody knew him. They were huge stars for Vince McMahon's the WWF at the time. They are kind of fed up. They get... Uh, the same amount of money, if not a little more, for less dates a year, guaranteed money. And they come over, and the way Bischoff wants to do it, he steals it from Japanese wrestling, is like a brand takeover. So out of the crowd, in the middle of some match, I can't remember the exact date, but I think it's 95, there's some match going on, and you start seeing people in the crowd, like, what the hell is this? And out of the crowd comes Scott Hall. He's like, you know, hey, yo, you know, who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. Something to that effect. The next Monday night, Kevin Nash comes out. And so they're like, we're taking over. This is a hostile takeover. And the we got another big man. We got a third man. So it's like this buildup to who's the third man? Who's the third man? And it all culminates at the Bash at the Beach pay-per-view. And it's like some tag team match with Hall and Nash. I can't remember who they're fighting, or it, it might have been like Sting and Lex Luger or something like that. And all of a sudden, Hulk Hogan in the yellow and red runs out. And, of course, Bobby the Brain Heenan, who has this running feud with Hogan, what's he doing here? I don't trust him. And all of a sudden, Hogan turns and joins the NWO. And it's this huge, for a guy to be the good guy for pretty much all of his career, to then turn... Let me tell you something, Mean Gene. The crowd is so upset, they're literally throwing trash, dip spit cups, like full (laughs) cans of beer. And like Hogan off the cuff is like, as far as I'm concerned, Mean Gene, these people are just as good as this trash in the ring. And it actually was the biggest thing in wrestling. They made a lot of money. And they started beating the WWF. 
Like it was. I mean, you might not have liked it personally, but it was huge. Well, the the thing for me personally, just following the storyline. I mean, it's like watching Days of Our Lives since you know the mid seventies. Hmm. It, it was it was so far fetched for Hulk Hogan to turn right that you could tell that he was acting, and that's the beauty of wrestling, is or wrestling, is that it's you know. We all know it's scripted, but it is when he turned, it was like, no, not Hulk. I mean, he can't. See, but that's why what I mean, got that's people like, that would so be much. Like Roman turning on Days of Our Lives. That, that can't happen. <laughs> I don't know Days of Our Lives. You know, but. it's like Marlena being uh, evil. It's like no, well, y'all wait, can't be an evil, evil, like an evil huh? alter ego in a soap opera. What do you what? do at lunch? Yeah. Well, I'm, I don't watch it anymore, but we used to watch it. But, you know, that's the thing about Ric Flair, and I think that's the, the reason he has held on so long, is he never really flipped. He would be, he became, he got, he got turned on by other bad dudes. Right. And was like, well, now I'm going to, you know, beat you up, just right. to put it, you know, simply. But he never changed his personality. Hulk Hogan changed his personality when he went into that the the black shirt hulk right and it's like no that's not hulk the nature boy has always been the nature boy well and i think there's something about it, it actually in my mind is a precursor to donald trump think about it i'm i'm full of glitz and glam I get all the ladies. I'm very rich. Like, what's the line? I, I spent more money on spilt liquor last year than you spent on your house. <laughs> million yes. Dollar Man. Uh, yeah. Million Dollar Man. Well, then there was yeah. a million. Million Ted Dollar Do- Man was the first. Ted DiBiase. Yeah. Um, it was a, a great character. But we're talking wrestling tonight, number one, because Sunday, the WWE's in town. You're at Garrett Coliseum. Probably. Cool. Probably. Um I'm not going to go by myself. Probably means he's on the front row Dude. with Spider Lady. No, I'm not dropping a hundred dollars to be on the front row. Oh man, no, I can't afford that. Holla I wish me. I could. All right, after D and D. All right, <laughs> yeah, it starts at seven at Garrett Coliseum, and they're not even paying me to say that. Um, I'm just that big of a fan. Yeah, 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 and so that's going on. Ric Flair, as we speak, is celebrating his 70th birthday. And he uh, was some surprise party. His new wife put together. Charles Barkley was there. It was in Duluth, Georgia. Jeff Hardy, Triple H, Evander Holyfield, Dennis Rodman. That's awesome. Yeah, the nature boy. Trump go? Hmm? Trump go? No, <laughs> Trump. I don't think Trump would be allowed anywhere near that. If that's a recent picture of him, he looks great. Uh, he's, uh, that's a little bit, that's probably from about 10 years ago, oh. what you're looking at on the screen right now. I still see it. He still looks good for 70 yeah, years. Yeah, I well, saw him the other day. What we, people thought he was uh, pretty much gone. Like, he had a really serious medical episode, sure. and luckily he came back and out of it, and he's been working out and trying to live healthier. The thing with Ric Flair and the 30 for 30 documentary about him is it's amazing. fantastic, but the Truth about that guy is he, you know, wrestling scripted. You got these gimmicks. He lived the gimmick. When yes. he talked about, I'm jet flying, I'm limousine riding, I'm kiss stealing and wheeling and dealing, and especially drinking, um, Ric Flair lived the gimmick. And uh, to his detriment, in a way, I think, like, some doctor 
asked him about his routine, and the doctor's like, "How are you alive?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I mean, no oh. kidding. I mean, that's how that's, much he yeah. would drink. Oh, like, yeah. and it's not an exaggeration. And also no. the travel that these guys do. Like you're thinking, okay, they're coming to Garrett Coliseum here. The WWE is here in Montgomery. They're doing that every, pretty much every day of the week. They do a show. And they're on the road. I've known bands that were like that. And you're talking about the drinking. Mm -hmm. I mean, good. Like a little tiny dude like me. Be putting down a fifth. Right. It's unreal. And I think maybe there's something to that idea. It's how we ended the show last night is, I mean, you get this adrenaline rush from a great show. I've felt that just with radio, but I can't imagine. You're in a weird town, you're in a weird place, and you have this great show. You get the energy from the crowd, and then you're supposed to go to sleep for a second, <laughs> or you're supposed to drive yeah. for two, three hours to the next town, make the next town. It's yeah. an unreal profession, and like I guess stand-up comedians are like that in a way. A lot of musicians are like that in a way. Hell, politicians on the campaign trail. Man, when, people, exactly. clap, hmm? when people clap, it's great. And they're happy, and you did something good, and they're like, yeah, and you're like, uh-huh, I don't right. suck. Yeah, I just, <laughs> if I'm putting the my top wrestlers, like the greatest of all time, it's, I mean, any sort of greatest of all time conversations, very subjective. But if I think about my favorite matches I've seen, it's probably Shawn Michaels. That guy was the man. Like, whether it's him doing the ladder match with Razor Ramon at WrestleMania, or 20 years later doing the match with Undertaker... Both matches. They're unreal. And if folks don't know what I'm talking about, there's one in particular that first Taker-Shawn Michaels match where Taker's streak at WrestleMania is still intact, but he had never beaten Shawn Michaels in any big event before. I'm sure maybe on a house show. And so the intensity of it, it's like a story that's kind of just been built over 15 years or no 17 years if the taker was uh taker was 17 and 0 and i like to show that match to people that aren't big fans because what usually happens is they're doing it reluctantly they don't really want to watch it because they're just humoring me and then i catch them uh-huh. about uh, 10 minutes in 15 minutes in like them jumping them getting interested. And I it, that's what's so much fun about that stuff. I mean, you see it in real sport. I mean, I'm not knocking the athleticism of wrestling. I mean, like in football and basketball, it's one thing to see a great game. But when there's like built-up story over time, and it just sort of organically comes into being. Like Michael Jordan was the best story when I was a kid. I was a huge Bulls fan. Because it was just such an oh, amazing... I, I, I loved it. It was such an amazing story, especially after Jordan does that retirement, pseudo-retirement, and the Looney Tunes pulled him down and like had him fight the aliens and all that. Yeah. Um, and then comes back. But I love dynasty stories. Even if it's like, at some point, the Patriots are... You know, oh, I'm so tired of Tom Brady and the Patriots winning. I'm so tired of the Yankees winning year after year. But yeah. you got to step back for a second. You know, this is historic. And for people who know, to do that at that level year after year is, I think, something everybody can respect. No, because and the reason that I hate the Bulls is because I was a Lakers fan coming <laughs> up. And I'm going back to the, the Magic Johnson. Right. Uh, Against Larry Bird and those yeah. epic battles. And 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 you know they went one three in a row. I mean, invented the term three peat, one three in a row. Right. And I was the biggest. I mean, James Worthy, and I mean people like Michael Cooper that people don't even know their names. 
that was my team, and the Bulls beat the Lakers yeah, in the so finals. Right. Like how? <laughs> and and the Lakers had swept the. I mean, they had swept the West. The West sucked. Right. I mean, they swept the West and were sitting there waiting and won the first game, and then the Bulls beat them four in a row. They but lose the, four to one, and I'm like, I, I hate Chicago. I hate Michael Jordan. <laughs> He's the greatest ever. I hate him. Then I love like players' own individual stories beyond just teams. Like, what is he played at Alabama? Robert Dory, uh, and he won like rings with so many different teams. I think he's and, got five rings with three different teams. And during or the regular season, he'd be a good defensive player. He'd be a good relief guy to bring in. He wasn't always even starting, but in the postseason, Robert Ory was clutch. He would hit big game shot after big game shot yeah. and, and win championships. And it's like, to have that nerve, to be that guy, and it's just like, there he is again! There he is again, hitting another big game shot. I think there was one when the Lakers had Kobe and Shaq, and they went to like game seven with the Sacramento Kings. And like some, the ball goes Aubrey in some weird way off the backboard, and Ori's like, you know, several feet behind the three point line. Last second, boom, Drano. And I just, I love the stories in real sports, but that's why wrestling's so good. Is sometimes, though, they, they're trying to create that magic. And it's really good when the script is there, but then the organic stuff starts to happen. What's really cool is, and Greg makes fun of me, you're watching, you know, oiled up men and like, you know, baby, it's not baby oil, it's man oil. You keep talking about Shawn Michaels. You know what I remember about Shawn Michaels? That freaking Speedo. He got the, he had the, the he was speedo. yeah he was wearing the little the the underwear you know what I'm saying and it's like man come on put on some pants no Shawn Michaels wear the long trunks with the boots in the beginning I believe it was a speedo with the boots I don't know about that I hope I'm wrong no when he betrayed I don't uh, pay that much attention to the gym yeah. well and I I'm just saying I don't, I don't you might have him confused with somebody else I don't know I never liked him. You didn't like him? Nope, never picked him on WrestleMania. The game. Oh, the old video game. Yeah, for 64, man. Okay. Oh, that was it. But if anyway, folks are like, well, this is supposed to be a news talk station. Well, number one's Friday, and let's go have a good weekend and go watch some wrestling. There's still tickets available at Garrett Coliseum. But also, I mean, the news. Okay, what's happened this week? Jesse Smollett has now been, I guess, arrested, and he's out on bail. He's been written, or he's not going to be an empire anymore. And which we all, everybody knew instinctively from the time it happened, so just keep going. Don't yeah, lie. and Donald Trump, there are more negotiations going on with the Chinese. Uh, the stock market's responding to that very well. I hope we get some mm-hmm. sort of agreement with yeah, that's China. Fine. There's these, It's kind of a run-up to this big summit with a second one with Kim Jong-un. Yeah. Hopefully you get a great announcement. Uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, was talking about how th- it could be a Berlin Wall-esque moment where nobody expected that wall to come down and didn't know the, the date certain, but it did. And I think if a major breakthrough like that happens with North Korea, that would be amazing and it, great for the world. And there, there is. I mean, there's lots of good news out there, and it's a shame that we don't focus on the good news and, and that the media is just intent on focusing on the bad news. But that's just the way it's going to be. Oh, yeah, the constant negativity. Now, like, obviously, I've seen my fair share of fights here on air, and I've been in the midst of them myself. Um, But when I kind of step back, my thing has been 
partisanship does lead you to kind of being double-minded. Like, you accuse the other side of doing things you did four years ago. Like, let's be honest, folks. You pick your wrestler. Well, yeah, you pick your side. <laughs> look, look, let me, let me, let me. But I like, but it's the way I like to watch wrestling too. I like to watch the the art of it, so to speak, like how they're putting the good guy against the bad guy, how they're the crowds playing into certain people. So I like to watch politics that way. Why is it that this guy's being branded a bad guy by this side? What are the characteristics that lead to people thinking this way and behaving this way? I mean, when Barack Obama was president, I, along with most other people. We were criticizing him pretty much every day. There's plenty of legitimate things to criticize, but that was a lot of what we did. Now that Donald Trump is in office, the left is doing that, and the establishment media is doing that pretty much every day. It's like, what did Donald Trump do wrong today? But I'm I'm remembering back, you know, five, six years ago, yeah, we were finding things to pick on Obama. Or the Democrats were, Joe Biden was a gold mine, by the way. I mean, you could always find some Oh, yeah, well, gaff. he's just an idiot. <laughs> right, and if he if he gets into this 2020 campaign, good oh, luck. I hope he does. Good luck, Joe. I actually want you to run. Hey, and you might be successful. Last time he ran, the last few times he's run, he's not been successful at all, and Obama kind of picked him out of the garbage heap uh, to give him some more gravitas and foreign policy. How did that work out? You remember Joe Biden? This is the stuff we would criticize him for. Like, Joe Biden was talking about... Uh, the call made by President Obama, to his credit, of killing, let's go in, we found Osama bin Laden. He's in this compound in in Pakistan, and we're given the green light to go ahead and get him. We're going to send the SEAL teams in. And, you know, I, I think, in my mind, I remember that night when Obama came walking out and, like, we've killed Osama bin Laden, blah, 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 blah. I remember I was still in college. And... It was like, okay, good. The guy that I remember as a little kid when those buildings came down on 9-11, my first thought, I well, I, I number one, saw how scared adults were, but I number two was like, we need to kill the people who did this. Like, it was a very, you know, normal and I think natural response. Sure. And so to hear this guy who was the mastermind is pretty much, he is dead. Cool. I, I like that. But then Joe Biden always has a way of... Uh, and politicians in general always have a way of exaggerating things. And when Joe Biden would get serious, sometimes Biden would get up here. Ah, blah, 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 blah. But when he wanted to make a serious point, you know, the the, the hyperbolics would be that they want to put you all back in chains. Talking like the Black Caucus or something. Then, yeah, well, it's almost like it doesn't matter what Republican president it is. The script is they're racist and homophobic and somehow evil geniuses and stupid at the same time. It, it's ridiculous. Yeah, because it's, it's they and y'all. Right. Not but, he and you. But when Biden wanted to make a serious point, he'd get real low. It's like, I was there when President Obama was given the information about the location of Osama bin Laden. And I have to say, this was the gutsiest call in hundreds of years. (laughs) Well, maybe the planning of D-Day, you know? And, like, that might have been a gutsier call. They're all gutsy calls. Much more than the call to drop a nuclear bomb and kill... 50,000 people in one second. Yeah, it's just like, okay, Joe, it was like, it was a risky call. We're going to send SEAL teams in. Things didn't go exactly right. I think one of the helicopters hey, went down. Like, hey, God bless the 13 men that went in, but mm-hmm. you're talking about 13 men to capture one guy. Okay, maybe it was a gutsy call. 
Drop a nuclear bomb on Hiroshima. <laughs> you, you, you just you just killed like fifty thousand people, yeah. forty nine thousand innocent civilians. But that's a little bit more gutsy to me. Here's my point: is I've noticed though that being more on the right side of things, and I don't mean like right and correct, like right wing side of things here on conservative talk radio, I've started to notice like. Oh, people, we've, it's almost like we switched roles somehow. Like, now it's our job to defend the presidency and the executive branch. There's some times where we pick our spots. Like, I have, to their credit, heard conservatives, even people in the Senate, say, I don't like this national emergency stuff. Even though I want the wall, I don't like the way we're going about it. But I, I guess that's what we're going to do. That's the minority but, of the right. But the general, like, tactics are defend, deflect. He's our guy. Our guy's got power. Defend, deflect. And then the opposition's role is criticize everything and assume the worst motives possible. <laughs> and it's, it doesn't matter who's in power. You just pick the side, whatever. But I, I, for the longest time, I just wanted to point out, hypocrites, hypocr you partisan hypocrites, I'm calling out the lies and the hypocrisies of our age. And... Yeah, how's that working out for you, Joey? Calling out all that hypocrisy. It really makes you feel good in the morning, and it really is changing a lot of people's minds, calling them hypocrites, right? No, it wasn't. So I've, I've really started to think, why is it that, you know, it's one thing for senators on the Senate floor to get heated with one another, or for presidential candidates on the debate stage to really go after one another. But why is it that when I'm watching my dad and his father, my grandfather, at the kitchen table, they don't have power at all. They have no power whatsoever in regards to politics. That they are like at each other's throats and calling each other all sorts of names and yelling and screaming and all. I'm like, what in the world is going on right now? Your father and son. Relax, you two. I know you watch Fox News all night, Dad. I know you watch MSNBC, Granddaddy, and CNN, but good God, let's relax. And I really started thinking about why is it that folks that don't even have power but are rooting for a given team get so at each other's throats? And the usual reason given is the differences are just intractable. Different principles, uh different things on very heated issues yeah and that's partly the reason but i mean there's disagreements over even petty crap like the basic facts of the news day and the news cycle so i'm like there's something else going on here and counterintuitively i think what's going on is the reason people fight so much especially over politics is what they have in common and at the end of the day it's that they want their team and their people with their ideas to have power. There's a common desire for power. Let's simplify it for a moment, though, because it's there's some fancy term, mimetic desire. Like when we're, I posted a video from Vsauce 2 earlier today on my Facebook page. When we're like born, as early as right out of the womb, babies will start mimicking facial expressions of their mother and father or anybody in front of them. And so we learn by mimicking other people. That's the most innate way we learn. Yes. I'm Bernie Sanders, and there's a reason we like impersonations. <laughs> well, I'm Lindsey Graham, and I, Lindsey Graham doesn't actually sound like this, but y'all know what I'm getting at by talking like this when I am Lindsey Graham. Yeah, you know, there are ridiculous things. Oh, 
<laughs> but we learn by mimicking one another. You're giving me the sweat over there, Lena. <laughs> you couldn't hold back. Uh, but because we learn by mimicking one another, what happened, and they've shown this in studies, that if a child with its mother, a very young child, is always looking at its mother's eyes, mom's in particular. And if mom's asleep, the child's not quite as attentive to things. But if mom, like, say a mouse runs into the room, and a child has never seen a mouse, before the child reacts, the child will look at the mother, or whoever's there, the authority figure, see how they react, and then they'll react accordingly. They'll mimic the authority figure, the mother, the father, whatever. That is a hundred percent true. And you think this is great, and in many ways it is. But and because it means that we learn at a very basic psychological level. We're not having you don't have to spit arguments and abstract thoughts at people. It's more like you just learn by doing, so to speak. Well it's it's a good thing if the parent does not flip out about every single little thing. Right. If the parents like, oh, their Twinkie just fell in a mud puddle and they picked it up and they're eating it, hey, kid, knock that off. Don't be eating well, a and Twinkie it, out of a mud puddle. But if you go to screaming and squealing and right. running, then it's like, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. But that's it's what the child is receiving. But that's not the worst of it. because, And I don't doubt you, there are plenty of ways parents screw up their kids and like just aren't prepared and aren't realizing how much of a model you are for all time at almost an unconscious, subconscious level. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rosa no. looks at me for everything. I mean, right. I mean, when we're doing anything, she looks at me first and sees what I'm doing. And I'm usually pretty calm about everything except for something crazy. And the first time, it took a year and a half or so for me to like get loud with her, say something. But when I did, it scared the crap out of her. She jumped like two inches. But, I mean, it was serious. Right. And exactly. she'll never forget that. <laughs> exactly. And, well, and you learn as a parent, you learn from child to child is you don't react so bad as quickly and as strongly on every single little thing and oh, that's yeah. just that's just growing up and learning even yeah. as parents we grow up but that's not even the worst part of this how we why we mimic each other is very important it's how we learn as we've just established and sometimes that learning you can learn bad habits establish that mm-hmm. but here's where it gets tricky have you ever had the experience of like i'm not really all that hungry or i don't really know what i want to eat tonight and then like the person you're living with plops down with like their own meal they just made and you're like i want that man that taco bell <laughs> smells good <laughs> and, and, and you're just like that delivery and you're just like that kid looking to the parent but it's you're a full-grown adult let's assume looking at another adult so you start to want what other people want like your unique desires aren't really usually aren't uniquely your own there's something that you're modeling so you have desires that other you know, like oh that guy's got a bmw jealousy uh, well it's not even it doesn't even go to the level of jealousy it can go to jealousy or envy but it's not even on that level it could just be like i want to emulate them yeah. It's not I emulation. It, I think that's better. It can go from like I, I want to keep up with the Joneses. That's a bad thing, just to keep up appearances. But say you really did like. I think this is why I have the particular car I have. I remember seeing 
Goldeneye, the James Bond movie. <laughs> and he had this Z3 BMW from 95, 96. And I always thought that's the coolest car. So when I'm looking around shopping for cars a few years ago, and I see a used one of those at a low price, that just jumped out at me. It wasn't right. until after I bought it, I remembered as, that as a kid, I loved that car. And it had always just been there, and it kind of jumped out at me. And so you... Your desires come from other things you see and how other people are, are playing out their lives in the world. So why is it that partisans like my dad and grandfather are arguing so much? That was the initial question. Hmm. So imagine you're a dude, because I am one. I'm not trying to put myself in a woman's shoes tonight. And you really like that girl in your college class. And you start talking to the guy next to you. He also really likes that girl mm. in the college class. Makes you like her more. Right. And it makes him like her more. Now, most civilized people will figure out all sorts of ways to one-up each other, tactics to be sure I'm the one who ends up with the girl. And let's assume for the sake of argument, you the bring girl... Him, you bring him a... Um, long stem one white rose and ask her on a date is what you do. Right. Don't you walk off. Right, and let's assume for the sake of the argument, the girl is obviously like interest could be interested in both. And this is hey, I've known some women that played multiple guys against each other. It's a that's a wicked game, and I, I guess men do the same. But here's the thing: at the end of the day, and maybe in ancient human history, people, if it gets heated enough, like say a husband finds you sleeping with his wife. Yeah, that would be bad. I think everybody understands that's a potential not just for a fight, but for death. 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 Not always. Some but. people react differently. But there's de like it can get so heated that people will kill over it. And it's because they both desire the same thing. And it gets us like that. <laughs> it gets us back to what we have in common. And so I think what's driving a lot of partisan hypocrisy... And what's driving a lot of people playing a role and arguing in bad faith and assuming the worst about each other is that they both want the same thing. And at Wait. the end of the day, that is power. And it's one thing when somebody up, you know, oh, he has the car that I want, or he has the food that I want, or he has the girl that I want. But when you're talking about the presidency, let's say, and all the possible ways that power can be used, people go insane. Because they're like, ha ha, my team's got it, and your team doesn't. Well, and and I let me put a quick little knot on this to tie it back together with the wrestling you were talking about. Okay, you talking about people, you know, fighting, and that's my guy. And in politics, that's where we've gotten to. You need to go back, Joey, and I know I've told you this before. Find some video footage of Bullet Bob Armstrong. He was our dude. He was the Montgomery dude, the mm -hmm. Dothan dude, the Alabama dude. That's who he was. And he fought Ric Flair when Ric Flair was a young man. Rick would have been in his probably mid-30s. Yeah, Rick's going town to town with the belt as champion, and he's and fighting Rick all these Flair local guys. Was always, he was always the bad guy. Right. And in in most of the matches that happened here, Bob Armstrong would just like whoop him the entire match. Yep. And right at the end, 
Ric Flair would reach in his sock or reach in his pants and he'd pull out a foreign object. <laughs> what they call brass knuckles. Yeah, brass knuckles. <laughs> and, and hit, you know, Bob Armstrong and knock him out and then pin him. And he sometimes pin him, putting his feet up on the ropes for more leverage yeah. on the pin. Yeah. Yeah. Cheating again. You know, game's uh-huh. over. But every once in a while, they would let Bob Armstrong be the winner. And he would go to the corner and reach up under his towel, and he'd pull out the brass knuckles, <laughs> and he would hold them up. Now, when Bob Armstrong did it, the entire crowd just cheered, and they were like, yeah, hit him, hit him. And he's still technically the good guy, even though he seems to be acting like the bad guy. Dang. Doing the exact same thing that the bad guy was doing. Well and that's <laughs> what's happening he in... was our guy. And that's uh-huh. what's happening in politics. And we loved it. Exactly. Tie the knot. They declare the a national emergency. <laughs> I would declare a national emergency. Exactly. Right? How many times have you heard that oh, Obama's had 13 national emergencies mm-hmm. in his tenure? And it just keeps fueling itself. But the thing is, well, we got to hit this break. By the way, the show is brought to you by Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. I know Eddie Bader, Bader likes uh, Ric Flair. I know Eddie Bader, though, more importantly, likes pizza. He likes to sit down and have a a good chat over Have a pontoon boat. Yeah, but more, most importantly, Eddie Bader is the real estate agent that can help you buy or sell your home. I mean, he's been around the block, changed his own life by investing in real estate, went to Bo Goodson's real estate school and became a full-time real estate agent. And he's helped people all over the river region buy first-time home buyers, second-time home buyers because of that family growing. Maybe you just moved into town. Or sell your place because there are things, you know, some people aren't thinking of. He's going to get out there. He knows the market well. Do this renovation. Do this repair. Here's how you do a successful open house. Just trust me, folks. Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group really knows what he's doing, whether you're looking to buy a home or sell your home. So give him a call. 322-0662. Again, that number for Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. 322-0662. Joey Clark. Joey Clark. Uh, welcome back. Hey you. Do you remember me? I used to sit next to you at school. Show is also brought to you by four healthy pets over on the Atlanta Highway. The Village East Shopping Center. You can see the sign as you're driving down Atlanta Highway. Same side of the road as Faulkner. I've always liked this song for some reason. right? Yeah, this is the darkness. Yeah. <laughs> like I know that. <laughs> but stop by and tell Teresa you heard about four healthy pets here on the radio. From Joey, you can say Baron too. Baron also has been doing a great job of talking about what they have to offer. They've got all sorts of specials going on here at the end of February, but new ones coming up in March. You can learn a lot at 4HealthyPetsOnline.com. But I think the biggest selling point for 4 Healthy Pets is obviously in the name. And that's, and that's F-O-R, not like yeah. the number four. Right, right. <laughs> not just F-O-U-R, F-O-R, just 4 Healthy Intended Pets. Intended there are more pets. than four healthy pets in this city. Well, Teresa, <laughs> I love her story, Teresa though. keeps them all healthy. It's not, but here's, I, I love healthy her story food. because she's not, it's not a gimmick. Like, it's not a gimmick in the sense like, oh, I'll be the healthy store as opposed 
No, it's something she truly believes in. Wholeheartedly believes in. It started with her own pets, and she's had many in her life. Cats and dogs. You can meet some of them over there if you visit for Healthy Pets. And she realized, if I'm this passionate about it, why not I offer this knowledge, this passion, ingenuity for others here in the River Region. So if you stop by there, you can get all natural kind of everyday feeding, everyday food for your cat, for your dog. Fancy stuff, too. They got organic. Right, exactly. Meowawana. Meowawana, the fancy catnip, or great snacks that are all natural. I mean, literally like turkey jerky and or you chicken jerky. Them. Yeah, human. it's great for human consumption. That's now how you know it's that high quality. And you can meet your particular pet's needs. She's full of knowledge. And it's like family and friends hour over there at Four Healthy Pets. So, again, stop by Four Healthy Pets on the Atlanta Highway, the Village East Shopping Center right next to Faulkner University. Or go Where to, the old Skate Haven used to be, right on top of the hill. Or go to Four Healthy Pets For you online. old dudes like me out there. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all know where Skate Haven was. Uh, and I do encourage FourHealthyPetsOnline.com because uh, they have grooming services as well. They just hired another groomer, better capacity. So things are really going great. Yeah, because Amber Pets. was cutting so many animals <laughs> right. she couldn't keep up. She had, right. they had to hire somebody. She needed a day off. Right. That's what that was. Well, they advertise on 93.1. Okay, you can eat them, and that doesn't mean they taste good, but they do. Especially the blueberry one. Whoa. It's so good. Yeah. Now, I, I want to get back to, and I want to point folks in a particular direction. What we were talking about earlier about imitating and how we get kind of envious to the point of wanting to fight with one another over the things we both desire, whether it's the same meal or the same plot of land or political power. Uh, the idea is, I, I first encountered them with a guy named David Gordoski. Great guy. You run an organization called A Neighbor's Choice, where he's essentially, he's not reinterpreting. He's more just selling the message of Jesus and the Gospels explicitly. He's not claiming to be a theologian. He's not asking you to join his church. He's taking the message of Jesus from the Gospels and showing examples in real life of people doing it. One is uh, Daryl Davis, I believe, is one of them. Black musician. And this is the way we can take um, things like this, what they call mimetic desire, that we both desire the same thing and we're willing to fight over it. We're so in common that we can't tolerate the other person. And what it leads to is scapegoating. And that's how people have usually unified. In order for like us three to not fight each other over something, what usually happens is we find something to blame. Like if us three are fighting, let's say, and then Sutherwood and I go, you know what it is? Sutherwood and I are good. We've always been good. I think Seth Spotlow's the one who's causing the fights. <gasps> That's right. When truly the situation is we all had some cause in the fight. Mm-hmm. And sometimes whole groups of people will blame whole other groups of people. This is where I think a lot of sacrifice comes from. Like, appease the gods. Sacrifice a, literally a scapegoat. Like, literally a goat. You know, dove, whatever. We're going to sacrifice it and throw the sins of the group onto something, and so we're all good. But I got this idea and this discussion tonight from a great video. I interviewed Matthew Tabor. Mm -hmm. You were here, Southern. Yeah, I remember. They put together on that YouTube channel a video called The Scapegoat Mechanism. Look it up, folks, on YouTube. It's only about 14, 15 minutes, and it does an incredible job of explaining in an interesting, entertaining way this kind of just basic concept. And, and how the scapegoating mechanism works. So if you just search for that on YouTube, it should come up pretty quickly. 
But he ends the video on such a beautiful note. He says, if we realize that we learn by imitating one another, if we realize that my desires come from the desires I took from my parents and from my friends and from the things I see on television, if you can step back for a second, you'll realize, well, I'm kind of everybody in a way. Now, that's fanciful, pie-in-the-sky thought. But the idea is that if you can see that Oh, we're not, I'm not that unique in a way. And I'm a hardcore individualist. I believe the individual is the most important thing. But I also do think we live in a community. And if you can kind of step back and realize, hmm, I'm part of this community and I can't just throw my sins onto somebody else. I contribute in this. It allows you to sort of grow and understand one another. Won't always be the best thing. And some people will grow and understand one another with like hour-long philosophy talks, some with psychology, but then sometimes it's like going to a wrestling match on a Sunday night, and you have something in common to watch, or watching a sporting event, or watching something in common that there's built-in conflict, but it's conflict that everybody's kind of agreed to. That's what sports is. It simulates conflict. Yeah, and I think you learn a lot about people in situations like that. Yes. When, you, when you're not. You go, go to a football game together where one is extremely, and even if, even if we go to an Auburn-Vanderbilt game, and I'm extremely invested in Auburn, and you're like, Seth, you come with me, and you're like, I really don't give a damn who wins. You learn a lot about me, the way I act during the game, and it gives you an insight into their persona. Right. And I, I think that's a, a a big thing, you know, that we learn, you know, from or yeah. or there. It's another way that well, we learn about the personalities of the people that we associate. And with. also, and also lets you kind of have a common ground that allows for complete room to breathe and have freedom. Like we all kind of. You know how people get fighting over the rules, but at the end of the day, most people go, well, yeah, that was the better team. There's a clear way we decide how this game is played. They scored more runs. They scored more touchdowns and field goals. They even got that safety because we tried to throw a pass from the one our own one-yard line. Like, stupid things like that, but people understand, like, okay, that's the rules of the game. And when you have that rules of the game, it does build community. And people show virtue on the field. They show ability on the field. And everybody, even if you that, like, I'm sure Alabama fans hated Cam Newton. But oh, yeah. you could oh, yeah. not deny that guy is amazing. That guy is one of the best players ever to play college football. Sure. So, I mean, there's something about a, a, an event like that that makes you step back and it, it brings people that should be really heated at one another together. Now, occasionally you get people that don't understand this that don't understand why we have these competitions. Like, I mean, the terror plot that was foiled. This guy, what, a lieutenant or something like that in the Coast Guard? Yeah, the Coast Guard guy. Yeah, who was plotting to kill a lot of Democrats. It's like, and of course the game that's going on is let's kind of, in a manipulative way, say, why won't you condemn this? It's like, well, we already congratulated law enforcement. We don't want to, we don't want to bring this too much into the light of day because most people aren't like this. If you're trying to make a political point about it in order to smear me, I'm a little uncomfortable. Like, of course I condemn it, but like, why are you asking me? Like, you do assume that I wouldn't condemn it when the guy who was the Bernie Sanders supporter who shot up 
Republicans and others on the baseball field. Yeah. Uh, what, what was his name? Right. What was his name? Mm-hmm. We don't remember. Mm. Well, then fine. Let him be in the dustbin. I mean, it was covered for one day, and that's the way it should be covered is, hey, some wacko lunatic did something really stupid and, I'm not gonna and tried to kill people. And I'm not going to blame Bernie Sanders. And leave it there. I'm not going to yeah. blame Bernie Sanders for that, nor am I going to, like, run to Bernie and, like, at the top of my lungs, don't you condemn us? Like, as though I'm almost accusing him of... Of being complicit, of condone, you're accusing him of condoning an action by, by someone he doesn't even know or have any control yeah, over. It, and it starts to become this like very uncharitable back and forth. And it, it's, I think most people on both sides of the political aisle understand you don't go shooting your political opponents. And and look at this like this Smollett thing. What if Donald Trump came out and said, "Oh, everybody that says MAGA country." I condemn you. If you wear a red hat, I condemn you. And then it comes out, what we found out now, it was all made up and orchestrated. Yeah. Now, how does it make you look as the leader of the free world? What do you do? Back up and say, okay, I don't condemn all y'all that wear uh, red hats and say MAGA country. I mean, you can't be reactionary See, like but that. Then here's the thing. Like, we, I've seen responses to that, even now that we know, like the police have charged Smollett in this case. Like the cat, the producers of Empire have kicked him off the show at this point, even after standing by him for a while. Dude, that doubling down. But man. people are still disagreeing over this event, and because they, and this is the thing, and it, it just came to me last night as I was reading. It's a little wonky, but people don't really even disagree on facts. Like the facts in that case are pretty much no, it's motive. It's motive, but it's also symbolic. Like, here's what I saw. I saw some group today share the ten, top ten times white people lied about crimes. And I'm like, yeah, that goes on. And I, sure. I think it's pretty terrible if people saw, and it doesn't matter what side you're from, if somebody's assuming people are thinking this way or they actually think this way, that because Jesse Smollett lied about this thing, then that means... Every other black person is now, if they actually suffer some sort of attack like this, can't be believed. And it's like, no, let's look at the facts. But that's not what the argument's over. The argument's over the symbols. The argument's over this idea of it's a political symbol. It was a useful political idea. That's why Smollett did it, for his own aggrandizement and also to advance into the larger narrative of politics. And so... Even though the facts of the case are he made it all up, people still want to hold on to that symbol. This is a really big problem in our society. The more or less of an extent it might be, I, I mean, I think it's overblown. That's why I don't think we should give the time of day to a lot of these wackos who don't understand the rules. Even the SBLC down the street will admit, like, how many true, hardcore white supremacists and nationalists are there in the country? Let's say a generous number, 20,000? That's a blip compared to the whole population. Sure. Like, why are we defining ourselves by these extremes, by the people that won't play the civilized game of, like, we can talk our issues through? And I think most people aren't arguing over facts. They're arguing over symbols that mean a lot to them.